Hello, and welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. I'm Pastor Joshua Curtinback. Today is the third Sunday after the Epiphany. Our text for today comes from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 8th chapter. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is the word of the Lord. Our sermon was recorded previously at our divine service. Our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, please be seated. In our Old Testament lesson this morning, we have a beautiful foreshadowing of what is to come in our gospel text. In our first lesson, Naaman, a Syrian, that is a Gentile, a commander of the army of the pagan king Ben-Hadad II, suffered from leprosy. His wife's servant girl, an Israelite, tells her that her husband should visit the prophet Elisha, who lives in Samaria, which was the name of the northern kingdom of Israel at that time. Despite his stubbornness and his reluctance to listen to Elisha, Naaman eventually listens and is miraculously healed of his leprosy. Our pericope ends with his healing and returning to Elisha. But the text goes on to state how Naaman renounces his idolatry and becomes a believer in the Lord, the God of Israel. He even takes home around 300 pounds of earth in order to build an altar for sacrifice so that he can worship the Lord in Syria as if he were in Israel. The first parallel we see in our gospel lesson comes right at the very beginning where after the Sermon on the Mount, a leper comes forward as Jesus is leaving his teaching place. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Before we go too far, we must appreciate how odd this would have seemed to everyone there. Leprosy was a debilitating disease caused by prolonged contact with a couple of different strains of bacteria. It causes terrible rashes, the skin to become as scales, 
It kills the nerves so that the person cannot tell when they are injured. And so often, infection will set in when there is an injury, which will kill the flesh so that the fingers and toes will eventually fall off. The vocal cords also suffer so that the person has a terrible, raspy voice. Thus, a leper could easily be seen, heard, and even smelled before they approached. In many societies, lepers were forced to live outside of the community to prevent the spread of this disease, which would eventually be fatal. In the Old Testament, the ceremonial and civil law required those with leprosy to live outside of the gates in order to avoid contact with others. They had to warn people of their condition as they got close by putting a finger over their top lip and shouting, unclean, unclean, because they were ceremonially unclean and could not participate in any of the temple rites and other religious life of God's people. They were separated from their families and all human contact, as anything they touched would become unclean until the purification period. Even now, with the advances in medicine which our Lord has granted, leprosy is still a difficult disease to cure if it is not caught in the early stages. There were times, and there are times, where it can go away on its own, thanks be to God, but those were rare. In Jesus' time, the rabbis taught, and it was commonly believed by the people, that those who got leprosy were the worst of the worst. They were great sinners who deserved to get such a terrible disease. They must have done something absolutely terrible to be infected with such a terrible illness. This man, this leper, was cut off from religious life, family life, and society, and was seen by many as the scum of the earth. In most cases in the New Testament where a leper is healed, we see them calling to Jesus from afar. But this leper, when he sees that Jesus is done his teaching, even though he is still surrounded by great crowds of people, he comes to him and kneels before him. The word used doesn't so much mean kneel as we think of it today, but rather prostrate, that is, falling down before Jesus so that he was lying down, face on the ground before him, and pleading with him. A man who was lowest of the low in life already gets as low as possible to the ground before Jesus in a way that would show reverence and worship and respect to God. This man is already demonstrating faith and his trust in Jesus that he could heal him by his posture with which he approaches. He comes in humility, prostrating before him, and his words confess the same humble faith which his actions demonstrate. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The leper approaches Jesus with a faith that does not demand but recognizes and confesses that the healing and saving power belongs to Christ. Yes, it is a confident faith. The leper knows that Jesus can heal him. He does not ask, Jesus, pray that I will be healed. He does not say, if you can heal me. 
No, he confesses, you can make me clean. Jesus' power is not in question. The leper knows that Jesus has the power to do so. And so the leper humbly requests, if you will, if you are willing, if it is in your good and gracious will to rid me of this illness, you can make me clean. This is the attitude of faith, which trusts in Christ to do according to his will, knowing with the full confidence of faith that everything good is within his power. We trust in the forgiveness of sins and justification by grace through faith because of his promises, and so we are confident in this by faith. We also know by his words and actions in his earthly ministry that it is his will to heal us. However, we do not know whether that healing will come now, in years, or in the resurrection. And so we pray, Lord, if you are willing, leaving all to him, trusting in his goodness, even if we do not get the answer which we would like right now, we leave it to his timing and his will, trusting in his mercy and his good and sure promises. In the cleansing of the leper, we also see a picture of the sweet and blessed exchange. For here our Lord cleanses the leper by touching him, taking his sickness into his self and giving his own cleanliness to him. He cleansed him, taking away his leprosy and giving his own cleanliness and purity to the former leper. But in taking away the illness, he needed to make satisfaction. The law needed to be fulfilled, and that is what he does on the cross. For just as he took upon himself our sins and iniquities, and thus needed to fulfill and satisfy the law, so too he has borne our infirmities and illnesses. His passion upon the cross was not only for the healing of our souls, but for our bodies as well. As Messiah, he came fully to save us, fully to heal us, fully to restore us to the condition of Adam and Eve before the fall, yes, even to bring us to a place which surpasses that. And just as he takes upon himself the leper's uncleanness to give him his own cleanness, so too our Lord took upon our sins, took our sins upon himself at his baptism in the Jordan River to fulfill all righteousness. And he bore them in his body, and satisfied the law upon the cross. And so, too, by faith, he gives to us his righteousness in a sweet and blessed exchange, so that we are declared righteous for Jesus' sake, and we are made new creatures by him, new creations which now live in the time where we are still between the old and new creation. And thus we still suffer greatly with affliction and cancer, and mental illnesses, and all other sorts of illnesses. But when the new day dawns, and the Lord returns and raises all from the dead, then we shall fully reap the salvation which our Lord has accomplished for us, and we shall be full and new and whole in body and soul. Next, we come to the healing of the centurion's servant. Like Naaman before him, 
This centurion was a Gentile military commander under a foreign ruler. However, unlike Naaman, who served under a ruler who would sometimes be allied with Israel, this centurion was part of an occupying force, which was there to assert Roman dominance in the region and to show who the true rulers were. Not the Herodians, who were kings in name only, but the Romans, to whom the Herodians submitted. Naaman would have at least shared a similar culture, a similar language, but this centurion, according to Roman policy, would have been from a different area of the empire in order to prevent rebellion and sympathizing with the population. He was part of a group that would have been seen by many as wicked simply for existing and would have been written off as another unclean Gentile occupier whom the coming Messiah would hopefully overthrow and spit out of the land. Yet, despite what many would have thought who he was because of those who employed him, this centurion took interest in the Jewish people, and even though he was not identified as a God-fearer, that is, as a Gentile who is converting to Judaism, he obviously was listening to the word of God and what was being said about Jesus. For in the gospel, according to St. Luke, it is said that this centurion loved their nation and built for those in Capernaum their synagogue. And so this centurion, who had heard the word of God and had heard about Jesus, comes to him with a message about the plight of his servant. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. The Lord knows the fate of this poor servant if he does not intervene. And so he says to the centurion, I will come and heal him. But the centurion is one whom the Holy Spirit has obviously brought to faith by the words of Jesus. For he shows immense faith and love for his Lord in how he answers. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. First, he demonstrates love because he is looking out for Jesus's good name and reputation. He does not want Jesus to defile himself in the eyes of the Jews by going into the house of a Gentile. He does not want his name, which already suffers in the eyes of many because he eats with tax collectors and great sinners, to suffer another blow by entering the home of an occupier and political enemy. But how great his humility and love, his faith is much greater, for he recognizes the Lord's power and authority to heal, not only by touch or by ritual as if he were a mere wonder worker, but that he has power and authority to heal merely by his word and command. I too am a man under authority, he says, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion confesses that Jesus has real authority, authority which can come only from God himself, an authority which allows him to say to sickness, go, and it goes, and to health, come, and it comes, and to a body, be well, 
and it is. In response, our Lord marvels. One of only two times which this is recorded for us in the Gospels. The fact that he does so shows us the strength of the centurion's faith and commends it to us to follow as an example and to recognize our Lord's authority and power of his word. This faith is a faith which also recognizes our unworthiness of the great salvation which our Lord has accomplished and provides for us. Our sins are great. We have no righteousness in and of ourselves. We cannot even come to our Lord on our own without the illumination and drawing of the Holy Spirit. We are not worthy that he comes to us to make his home within us. We are not worthy that he comes to us and makes us members of his body by faith. Yet that is what he does by his grace. We are not worthy, but he, by his death and resurrection for us, and by his grace, makes us worthy. Not by our own actions or anything within us, but by his good and gracious will and action. After marveling, our Lord praises the centurion's faith, further commending it to us as a worthy example to follow, and says, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our Lord, by this statement, tells us of the universality of the gospel message. It is not only for those who are sons of the kingdom by their birth, that is, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it is for all. Moreover, this message is not only for those who are now sons of the kingdom by faith, either. It is not a message that is meant to stay within these walls, within our homes, within our families, or within our hearts, but it is to be shared with our neighbors and with all whom we have the opportunity to do so, so that they too may become sons of the kingdom by faith in Christ, the only Savior. For without faith one is destined to be cast into the outer darkness. But by God's grace and the gift of faith through the word of Christ, one joins in the feast of everlasting life. One is given a seat at the wedding banquet of the Lamb in his kingdom. One is invited to recline at table with our great forefather of faith, Abraham, and with all who are his spiritual descendants by faith in Christ Jesus, the seed of Abraham, who came into this world taking on flesh of the Virgin Mary so that he might heal it, so that he might take all sin and sickness into himself and make atonement and satisfaction upon the cross so that by rising again he might demonstrate God's acceptance of his sacrifice and show to us what awaits all who believe in him. For those with faith will be on the last day fully healed of all illness, fully cleansed of all sin, which now sticks to us and corrupts as leprosy does, and fully righteous and holy because of his saving work for us and the work of the Holy Spirit. Then on that day, we will enjoy all the blessings of salvation with all those who have gone before us in faith. 
There the joy will be like that of a great family feast, where, will we, where we will be in the presence not only of the patriarchs and the prophets, the apostles and the martyrs, but of God himself and of his only Son, Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. May God grant this to us all. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.